Welcome to the Cold Steel Podcast, hosted by Amir Farouk and myself, Chad Paul. We consider it an absolute privilege to bring you guests from around the world who are truly experts in their craft. Our mission is to offer you a combination of not only masterclasses on clinical surgery topics, but also insights into achieving personal growth, productivity, and fulfillment as both a surgeon and perhaps more importantly, as a human. We're absolutely thrilled to uh, have a very special edition of the Cold Steel podcast today. Uh, We're actually joined by three surgeons, uh, Greg Padborn, Don Major, and Wesley Francis from the Caribbean. Um, I was hoping maybe at the beginning, uh, uh, folks, um, for those maybe uh, uh, folks across Canada and surgeons across Canada, listeners who, who may not know you super well at this point, um, if you could tell us where, you know, uh, which island you're from, uh, how you grew up, and then uh, um, really what your training pathway has, has been to date. Maybe, Greg, we could start with you. All right. Thanks. All right, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for having us, Chad. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, so my name is Greg Podmore. I'm from Barbados. Um, we're pretty much from my, in terms of my training pathway, uh, we, I would have started my training um, in terms of um, medical school at the University of the West Indies. So um, in the Caribbean, we have different campuses. So for me, I did my first three years of medical school at the, at the Mona campus in Jamaica. And then I finished my final two years back home in Barbados, which were the clinical years. Um, so I graduated, that would have been in 2011. And subsequently during that time is pretty much, I would say from my third years where my love for surgery um, definitely grew. Um, so for the internship year, which would be a year where we, throughout the Caribbean, we do one year where we, rotate through the major specialties. So three months in internal medicine, three months in, in surgery, three months ONG, and three months in pediatrics. And then once you complete that internship year, you are licensed um, to practice medicine. Um, from there afterwards, I would have moved into general surgery right after internship. And then my I got into my to the postgraduate program, the same University of the West Indies, but this would be the Cayfield campus, which is in Barbados. And I graduated from my general surgery in um, December, 2018. Um, and along that way, my love for um, hepatobiliary and surgical oncology grew. So I would have sought um, through Dr. Francis's advice in Bahamas, because the community, even though we're in many different islands, the community is, is pretty small in terms of the surgical community. So through my fourth year of, of residency, which is our what we call the elective year, um, I spent some time, one, two months in Trinidad, um, a month with Dr. Francis in Bahamas and with, and with Dawn. And then from there, I did three months at um, University of Calgary with Chad and, and uh, the surgical oncology team. And it was through that relationship, then we kind of helped me foster my plans for fellowship. So after graduating, I was able to match for HPB fellowship, um, currently finishing that up now um, to do one more year of surgical oncology here in Calgary. So that's kind of the, 
the background for me, Chad, um, if that answers all the, the different questions. Yeah, that's great, Greg. What, what about for you, Don? What was your pathway? Well, again, uh, thanks again for having us, Chad. And my name is Dr. Major, Don Major, and my pathway started similar to Greg's. Um, we both went to the University of West Indies, but my, my one started off in Jamaica. And after Jamaica, I spent a few years in Trinidad where I did my, my undergrad um, preclinical years. And once that was completed, then I came back to Nassau and I did my two years of clinical training. And at the end of that, that was in 2009, I became a um, medical physician. And then from there on, I did a year of internship where I rotated through everything. And that's where I decided that, you know, surgery is the only area in which I feel we actually help people. The majority of other areas, they is more or less giving them medications and hoping that they take the medications. And after my internship, yeah, I started in the general surgery residency program there at University of West Indies in the Bahamas. It was a five-year program, and in my fourth-slash-fifth year is when I actually rotated to Calgary for a bit for a couple of electives in both surgical oncology and hepatobiliary. And again, like Greg said, it was uh, Dr. Francis that kind of put me onto this because I spent quite a bit of time operating with him with respect to my general surgery training. And he would always ask, what do you want to do all day? Do you want to do a bunch of hernias and gallbladders or do you want to do these complex operations? And I always loved the complex procedures. So that is how I kind of ended up in, in Calgary. Um, I completed my general surgery residency in 2017, December. And then I was able to, actually December 2015, it was, just, it was 2017 when I actually started my fellowship there in Calgary in both surgical oncology and hepatobiliary, and I completed that in 2019. Presently, I'm practicing at, at both hospitals here in the Bahamas on the main island of Nassau and doing both surgical oncology and HPV. So that's a little about how I kind of got here. Oh, that's perfect, Don. So, so Wes, you're the you're the senior most uh, um, individual on the on the call from the from the Caribbean. What what was your pathway like? Well, my my pathway again was similar. I went to medical school in uh, Jamaica, the Mona campus. I spent all five years there, and then um, came home to Nassau and did the same rotating internship. After internship, I then enrolled into the surgery department and I worked for about a year and a half. And then I matched uh, into a program uh, in the US, which is in uh, Detroit, Wayne State University, Detroit Medical Center. I spent uh, actually six years in residency there. The first year was a preliminary year. And then they took me on as categorical. Uh, and I finished that in 2007 and then uh, you know it was on the uh, circuit the interview circuit for surgical oncology and I actually matched in Calgary and uh, the rest is history you know I spent uh, two years in Calgary doing HPB and surgeon and I came home in 2009 and I've been home uh, just practicing basically HPB and surgeon since then and so that's been my path. 
You know, I'm curious, um, uh, Wes, as a guy who has worked extensively in really three countries, um, you know, the Bahamas and, and really the Caribbean in general, so more than three countries, the U.S. and then Canada, how would you compare and contrast our ability to deliver surgical care and sort of the surgical culture uh, across those different sites? You know, that, that, that's a great question. Um, so... I guess I could start in the U.S. because uh, that's you know during my residency, it it was really a, a sort of a hardcore culture. Um, go, surgical residency. I mean, the training was was tough. I would say, uh, you know, getting up four or five o'clock in the morning to be there. Um, and I mean, I served in different hospitals. One was uh, sort of a you know. The hospital the indigent where indigent care was and then there was the other hospitals where people with more insurance um you know were, were taken care of and i mean we still delivered the same level of care but it was it, it, the resources were very different um and the u.s culture was really a demanding culture it's you know performance you got to get this done you got to move um, and I found it very, a, a distinct contrast as to when I went to Canada. Um, it was very different for me. I mean, I don't know if it was just being a fellow at that level, but when I got to Canada, it, to me, it was more civil. Uh, I enjoyed more of, um, you know, uh, fr not free time, but more leisure time. And it was then that I really began to enjoy surgery and it was not so labor intensive. Um, and we started to take care of people from all walks of life. It wasn't just um, the people who could afford the care. I didn't really see a whole lot of indigent or, or the disparity in care uh, in the US, sorry, in Canada that I saw in the, in the US. Um, with respect to those who had insurance and those who didn't, because in Canada, the healthcare system is very different. I mean, we took care of everybody. One of the things, one of the um, patients that really impacted my uh, time uh, really in Canada was, I remember we did this big high-tech operation on a, on a homeless lady. <laughs> and, and the biggest part of that, uh, uh, part of the whole experience or the procedure was actually trying to get her home because she didn't have a home to go to but yet she was able to access medical care and access and get this huge operation which I knew if I was in in, um, in, in the U.S. that that probably would not happen so that was the big difference and, and the, the whole um, I thought the Canadians were uh, culturally more easy to get along with uh, I mean, I had a really great time. And so from those perspectives, when you come back home now in, in the Bahamas, you start to see more of that disparity of care because our healthcare system is the same way. I think is basically, you know, Im imitates really the U.S. healthcare, those who have insurance and then those who don't. And so you saw the disparity of care. It wasn't that universal healthcare. So, so we practice in the public sector, which is resource challenged. And then you go into the private sector um, where, you know, you, you, you literally had everything that you needed to take care of those who could access that level of care. 
So really the socialized medicine um, in Canada or universal healthcare, really that to me was, uh, I mean, I, that it showed how I think medicine should be, um, you know, healthcare for all and everybody should be able to access the same level of care. And that's what I saw in Canada. And I think that impacted me a lot. Well, that's that's fascinating, Don. I'm curious if we if we come back over to you. You know, you as you pointed out, have trained in a number of countries as well, and um, I believe you were just uh, over in Europe doing some additional training. You know, after your HPV fellowship as well. But and certainly, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I'm curious if um, if you have any thoughts about the transition as a trainee. Um, from two, you know, there's certainly, as, as Wes has pointed out, many, many similarities between countries and cultures, but certainly some big differences. I, I'm curious what some of the things that were really highlights for you in, in, in coming over for fellowship training, as well as maybe some, some challenges. I mean, one of the main challenges that I had in, in transitioning from the Bahamas to, to Canada wasn't necessarily the training itself. It was a lot of it was more or less dealing with immigration and trying to get my work visa and those things sorted out. I had a great challenge with that. That took uh, much longer than I expected and caused some delay with respect to starting my my fellowship training. So my advice for anybody that's you know coming from the Caribbean and, and maybe listening to this podcast and, and wanting to go to to Canada and they get a spot that you try and get on that application relatively early or as soon as you get um, acceptance that you try and get on that application. The other, the other challenge that I, I kind of found was that, again, coming from the Bahamas, most things, our operations usually start at around 8, 8.30, sometimes a bit later. And most days you get to work probably 7, 7.30, but coming to a, a powder biliary program, having to be to work for 5 a.m. religiously every morning was kind of a, a, a kick to the system with respect to making sure that you prioritize your, your evenings from the day before so you can always be ready and prepared to kind of get up in the morning and, and get going, right? And then the other thing that I found as a challenge, again, coming from the Caribbean, not being ever exposed to snow before, and coming to Canada and experiencing minus 10, minus 15, minus 30 degree weather and having to walk to work through that, it, it, was, a, it was an eye opener. But after a few months, I was able to kind of get used to it. I was able to prepare myself with respect to the, the appropriate clothing, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it actually all worked out in the end. And the final thing I would say is that what I really enjoyed about the Canadian experience was that, you know, everybody was friendly and everybody, you know, you can just approach them at any point in time and you can have a conversation with them and there's no real, no real um, envy or jealousy or, or anyone just being um, negative towards you. And you did, I did get quite a bit of operative experience. And that's one thing I can say that I truly appreciated as well about the Canadian experience. Coming from the Bahamas, our cases were rather limited, but once I got there in, in Calgary, that's when it really opened up my eye to the extent of cases that can be done and the amount of cases that can actually get done in a particular operative, operative time period. 
I, I want all of our listeners to know that I think you are acclimatized to the cold Canadian winter quite well because you're the the picture of you barbecuing in your backyard <laughs> with shorts at, at minus thirty has uh, has done the global tour for sure. Yes, he, yeah, it was it was great. He, oh. You know, Greg, Greg, uh, I you had a almost unique experience, and I think it might be at least in my working life a singularly unique experience having to deal with with COVID. Um, you know, I remember when you got here and uh, maybe the only benefit of COVID to your entire time here has been um, the uh, discount, the COVID-related healthcare worker discount um, that you're able to buy some of the uh, winter clothes that, that Don speaks about. But b- beyond that, I-, I was wondering if you had any comments on some of the uh, advice that, you know, Don has, uh, has given our listeners as well as um, some of the you know, individual and unique struggles you've had with uh, with COVID potentially, or challenges even that you've that you've dealt with. Yeah, thanks. Nice question, Chad. Thanks a lot. Um, what what I would say is, um, first of all, as I would just kind of second everything Wes and and Don said about how welcoming welcoming the Canadian structure is and and the staff because. Um, as as my colleagues know in the Caribbean, it's, it's uh, it can be different in terms of the support and in, not just support in, in by just being present, but you know sometimes the genuineness behind persons and the how they support you as a young surgeon. Um, it, it's hard to kind of sometimes get it in the Caribbean from like across the board. I mean, you do have mentors around, um, but like I can say, like when I came here. Um, generally, everyone was very welcoming. Everyone looks um, to try to optimize the experience for you. Um, in terms of of COVID, it, it is indeed a, it was indeed a very very a, a challenge for me. Um, in terms of the main thing, I would say one thing that stood out was you know being here alone, um, not having my my wife here with me. And again, it was mainly because of of the COVID situation and the travel restrictions, uh, which are still in place in terms of the Canadian border. Um, so, I mean, it, it has its pros and it has its cons for sure. You know, you, you're here for this period of time. I was able to put down my head, focus on the HPB and just push and push. And as Don would say, the operative experience is amazing. Um, so you, you get to know, you get to operate a whole heap more than I, I can say we compared to the Caribbean in terms of the volume, the amount of cases that, that you, you see here is, is well surpassed what we, what we would see at home. So from a operative point of view and academics as well, um, I find the Canadian experience um, was, was, very, it was very good. And COVID for sure has its challenges, but in, for, for HPB for sure, um, it, it didn't really affect the operative exposure because of the cases we do. Um, for sure, some other fellowship programs took a little hit uh, based on being restricted by, by the government. Um, but for sure, yes, there were, there were its, its challenges more from a social aspect of things being, being here alone. But again, you know, everything is for a time and, and I found the experience and it still is quite good. Um, despite the challenges COVID had brought um, to, to, to us.
Wes, I'd like to come back to you. And, you know, you, you three gents are, are special guys, not only in terms of your personality and your operative talent and, and the, the clinical work that, that, uh, um, that you do. And, and I would add to that, that you know, the, the stuff that we all learned from you guys individually up here, this was a, a bi-directional relationship and one we're very proud of in, in, in Canada. Having said that, though, you know, I'm curious if I if I push you a little, little bit on the hard, harder side and ask you, what are some of the, the gaps in surgical care that you see, um, maybe in the Caribbean as a whole, but certainly in the Bahamas? And I, I'm curious, too, if you're able to flip that question around a little bit and, and maybe talk about if there's things, and I would imagine there are many, that you know, are, are maybe better in the Caribbean uh, that you guys do in, in a much more uh, um, impactful or helpful way than, than we do in Canada and something we could learn from? Well, the, the, the one thing I would say, Chad, um, that I thought that there was a gap. Um, and again, I, I think it's, it's, it's in itself a function of the, the healthcare system, the uh, universal healthcare that that system there. Um, I remember when I was on the service, there was there were quite a people who presented in a delayed fashion, even after being worked up, um, having uh, gone through their primary care, get, getting the imaging and seeing them in clinic and they were on a wait list. And by the time we saw them, um, I, I think we found that a, a number of, of them uh, their, their disease had advanced. And so uh, I, I think that that was one of the things that I noticed. I didn't see that much in the U.S. when I was there. Um, and certainly that's something that, you know, in the Bahamas, people, well, when they, when they, when they access the system, they can probably move through the system much, much quicker. Uh, that's the only thing that I saw in Canada that was a, a challenge. But I mean, that's the challenge because I understand it. That's that's the that's the healthcare system there, and especially in a referral center, when um, you know you 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 you're basically dealing with the entire region. Um, so so there is a wait. And I remember personally when I was actually uh, in in Canada, and my wife uh, was pregnant, was having our last child there, and it was so hard to find a gynecologist. Uh, to access, to get into the system. To, even though I worked in the hospital, uh, it was hard. Um, and it wasn't until much later, I think in the second trimester, and not for lack of trying, but um, that, I, that, that we actually finally got hooked up with a, with a gynecologist and got in the system and got the care that we needed. And so I, I think that that, while I think the delivery is great, accessing, uh, one, you know, accessing to me, um, was where I saw, I felt like there was a gap in, in, in the Canadian healthcare system. Uh, that's well said. And I, I think, you know, that still exists today. And I, I think we've closed some of those um, issues or improved on them um, in some areas, but, you know, other areas of, of surgical uh, care in particular need to, need to uh, continue to improve for sure. What about in the, in the, in the, the area of the Bahamas, Don? I'm curious, you know, for our Canadian listeners, maybe who, you know, haven't experienced the healthcare system in the Caribbean in general, what, what are some of the gaps that, that you see? And I'm curious, you know, how, how you guys as a threesome 
um, on a couple of different islands, obviously, um, plug into that and, and try and address that and improve that. Okay, well, respect to the Bahamas, um, if you know a bit about our, our healthcare system, it's more of a two-tier system where we have public uh, system as well as private system. And the majority of the gaps that we tend to see are with respect to the, the public healthcare system. As in, you know, the majority, I would say probably about 60 to 70% of our, our patients that come to the public healthcare system don't have insurance. And it's considered the major hospital there in the Bahamas. And of these individuals, they tend to have some gaps with respect to diagnosis and treatment. And what we notice too, with respect to our hepatobiliary and surgical oncology, is that we tend to get them rather late because our, our subset of people in the Caribbean, they, they're kind of afraid of doctors. So they would like, they, they tend to stay at home and wait and wait and then they pray and then they put this medicine that they got out of, the, out, of the, out of the bushes on it and hope that it, whatever their problem is goes away. And usually by the time we see them, you know, they've gotten some biopsy or some imaging. It's kind of late in their course, and there's not really much that we can do for them. So that is one of the, the challenges that we experience quite a bit within the, uh, the healthcare system in general with respect to the Caribbean. Now, I know that um, we do have some connections with different islands with respect to the Caribbean to try and close some other gaps, as in... I remember Dr. Francis going down probably a few years ago to assist with a, a high pack procedure there in Jamaica. And sometimes their patients from Jamaica or Barbados would come down to the Bahamas to get these complex procedures done. So that is one of the ways in which we're trying to close some of the gaps. Um, but that, that cultural gap is the, or that cultural issue that we have with respect to, you know, wanting to get medical care early on in the disease process, or even just going to a family physician to check out what's happening with you is something that we really have to try and, and, and get over in order to get these patients in earlier in order to be able to help them. Well said. Greg, I'm curious, is there anything that's, that's special or unique in that regard to the Barbados? And, and what are some of the, the Barbados specific issues that, that you might have? Um, from 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 Barbados' point of view, I think it is it is kind of similar in terms of the healthcare structure, like Bahamas as well, uh, where we have um, similar public and private um, care available. Uh, of course, as similarly with COVID, and I'm pretty sure it's all the way around the Caribbean as well. The the budget for the healthcare in terms of the public care is definitely cut a lot. So. The issue always boils down to, to the resources available in the public system. And, and Barbados is also unique in that there's only one um, tertiary care um, hospital available. So patients who similarly, it's, it's not a mandatory thing to have insurance. So if you can afford it, definitely in the private sector, you, you will get um, timely care, care as, um, pretty much as first um, gold standard care, but publicly we always limited to, as Dr. Francis would have said, to the resources available to the public patients. Um, but I think what 
one of the gaps are where we have started to improve um, in the Caribbean is first of all, trying to get the expertise in these different subspecialties available. And, and I think definitely through the Caribbean and the Caribbean um, AHPBA Association, we're trying to create this, this network of surgeons, HPB surgeons, surgical oncologists, where we potentially will be able to discuss cases. And, you know, we, we taken away, we taken a kind of checking that box of having expert care available because before and, and probably still going on is persons who pretty much can would say they can do this procedure and they're doing it. But of course, the outcomes are not as as optimal as, 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 as we would be expecting. So I think if one of the steps that we are making progress in the Caribbean is, is improving on the um, expertise in, these, in this subspecialty. Um, and I think once we can say for sure, you know, we, we have established expertise in Bahamas, in Barbados, Trinidad, Jamaica, and then we can try to start making um, further progress in terms of improving the care. But the challenge in the Caribbean is that each island is individual in terms of their healthcare system. So it still boils back down to the resources and improving the public aspect of things. But um, I think it is possible, it's doable. And I think we're moving, starting to move in the right direction in terms of having the, the expertise available. I'm curious, Wes, in the in the era of COVID, with you know all the changes that have come into surgical care, you know, and particularly what comes to my mind in this regard is, you know, Zoom-based or or a telehealth-based uh, education, telehealth-based consultations with patients. I, I'm curious, you know, to Greg's point, do you see the uptake and the potential of maybe, you know, multi-island um, consultation and, and uh, you know, um, um, surgeon uh, collaboration uh, being, being greater and, and, and brighter going forward because of COVID or, or is it sort of independent of, of the, of the, uh, the cultural um, uh, ability to, to absorb that kind of change? No, you know, that, I think that that's the single benefit of COVID. I mean, COVID forced us to use a digital platform to communicate. And in doing so, it, it brought us together. I, you know, COVID, we, we all faced with lockdowns and separation and, um, you know, and patients not being able to, to access care and all of that. But what it what it did do it it brought it brought the whole surgical community together. In fact, the Caribbean College of Surgeons um, we we could not do our annual meeting where we would go you know we would all travel from different different uh, territories within the region. But we did it. We did, we had a monthly Zoom based um, um, meeting where we had uh, you know residents and and attendings alike presenting, um, you know, their academic, uh, the, the product of their work. And it, it happened every month. And usually we have, we, we did this only on an annual basis, but we were doing it every month. And it really brought more collaboration. Um, and so I see this going forward. And, and also from an education perspective, uh, the, the university, uh, the, the University of West Indies, the way they, uh, examined the 
the uh, you know the, the residents was that you know one twice a year we would all come from different territories. We'd meet in Jamaica, meet in Barbados, meet in Jamaica uh, in Trinidad, but we couldn't do that because of COVID. And we, but we all had to do it using this uh, Zoom and the digital platform. And so we were able to be able to execute the uh, exams and still examine our students that way. And and again, it, it's it's a little impersonal, but you 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 saw how far it took us. We were still able to accomplish the academic and educational goals uh, using uh, the same platform. And even in the preparation for the exams, you had students in Jamaica, students in uh, Bahamas, and in Trinidad, all in one review session. So uh, COVID has brought us together. And personal experience, I mean, I, I, I saw a patient in Barbados who needed high tech. And I mean, before that would be an issue, uh, but I was able to do um, communicate with her uh, via, via Zoom. We would never have thought about that before if COVID was not around. So it, 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 it is positive and it had a positive impact on um, education, um, and on um, actually meeting meeting up with patients, so I think overall it was good. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about, right? Because you know I think we've seen that across many different scenarios. And when I think of the impact of 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 the pandemic on in regard to this topic in Canada, you know it's a bit of a different challenge, right? We we have these vast distances and populations that are hours and hours and hours away from. Uh, tertiary care centers, for example, that provide the high-end specialty care that that you guys are doing in the in the Caribbean. So it's it's almost more of a distance problem potentially, at least in a linear sense. Um, but really, the core issues are are the same. And I, I would argue, in uh, in Canada, I would agree that um, really the 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 cultural change at attached to it is maybe the most significant thing. Whether you're talking about clinical care or education, as as you point out, Don. Don, I'm curious. Um, you, you know, in, in putting this whole conversation together, um, what does it mean to leave the Caribbean and go and do a fellowship in some surgical subspecialty abroad, whether that's, um, you know, Europe or America or Canada, wh wh wherever that is. In other words, when you come back to the Caribbean, what does that sort of, um, what does it get you? How does it help? And, and how do you, uh, assuming it's positive, continue that lineage going forward? Yeah, great question. So what it gets you when you actually completed your fellowship, wherever it may be, like you said, um, in the public sector, it gets you a consultant post, right? So usually before when we'd finish our general surgery residency, you'd become a senior registrar, which is um, just beneath consultant. And then once you've gone off and done a fellowship somewhere, regardless of the area, then you're eligible to become a consultant. And a consultant is just a, a staff physician or an attending and the, in the public sector. It's more um, with respect to the private sector. Once you've completed your general surgery training, then you can go ahead and, and once you get your license, um, and you're, you're up to date with your CME credits and you can go ahead and start practicing in your private sector. Now, with respect to what it does for you, 
Um, one of the things too, I, I realized that it's, it's, it's really a confidence booster as well, because yes, you may have done your five years of general surgery training. You've done quite a bit of operating in the Caribbean, but once you've gotten the volume and you've gotten comfortable with doing these cases for a period of one to two years, then you come back and you start doing these cases, you, you, you get a lot more confidence with it. And I, I can say that because just when I finished my general surgery training, I, I practiced at home for about a year prior to doing my fellowship. And I could have seen the difference in myself when I was just fresh out of general surgery residency and, and compared to when I was actually completed my fellowship. So I would recommend for anyone doing general surgery in the, in the Caribbean to try and get themselves a, a fellowship with respect to Canada, the U.S. And, and one of the ways um, in which they can, can kind of get there is, is having, a, having a mentor that has kind of done it already, has been through it already, and can show you the way in with respect to, okay, maybe you can go here for a possible elective and, and see how you like it, or this is an area in which you like and probably we can try here to get you into an elective. And once you get into an elective and you, you, you give it your best and show the guys what you're capable of, um, then you can talk about getting a, a possible um, interview or, or even working with the guys closer with respect to trying to get a spot at some point. But yeah, it does boost your confidence. It does give you a, a, a spot with respect to a consultant post. And um, it's pretty effective. Yeah, that's, that's well said, Don. You, you know, I, I'm curious to come back to you, Wes. Um, you know, if, if I take, uh, if I go back a few months, Greg was kind enough to invite me to uh, watch via Zoom um, one of the Caribbean surgical annual meetings. And, and, you know, I shouldn't be surprised. And I wouldn't say maybe even surprised is the right word, but I, I was really impressed with the quality and the training and, and just the whole two-day meeting in, in general. It was such a pleasure to, to, to watch it. Um, you know, you've had some interesting experiences outside of the Caribbean as well and outside of training. Uh, obviously, the one that comes to mind is your trip to Honduras. I'm, I'm curious, how common is that sort of endeavor, you know, amongst Caribbean surgeons? And how did you sort of frame uh, your surgical experience in, in Honduras as a, as a volunteer and, and did, how did it impact sort of your, your practice or the way you, you look at things? So, you know, that experience was great because, you know, Honduras, again, is research challenge, but Honduras did not have, um, you know, the, the capacity um, in terms of, you know, expertise of uh, surgeonk uh, hepatobiliary and we were able to go there and do that and I think the, the greatest experience that I uh, uh, from Honduras um, is the ultimate outcome of Honduras even though we went and we operated and we you know we did some cool cases um, it, 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 it was I'm sure the patients benefited from what we brought there but ultimately, uh, we were able to get one, someone from Honduras trained. And then he then went back to Honduras um, and is now functioning there uh, at that same level. He brought the expertise. So it was more of a capacity building. 
And, you know, I, I want to say this, um, and, and I say it with a lot of graciousness because, you know, Chad, you guys from Calgary and, I, and also from Toronto uh, are responsible for HPV in the entire Caribbean. And not only HPV, but some other extensive or, or, or subspecialty training like um, laparoscopy, um, uh, upper GI. And it's because the capacity got built. Uh, it may have started with me in Calgary, but then now you have two other guys who are trained. They were taking that down and then going, coming back to the Caribbean. And so now the Caribbean has those expertise, just as now has that Honduras has. So it's the relationship that we develop and the capacity building. And so in years to come, I think if we continue on with that, you will see now that um, the whole region, whether it's Latin America uh, and also the Caribbean, would have these, these subspecialty expertise uh, because of this relationship. And I mean, this podcast is really because of that relationship that we have with you also. But I think it's a capacity building um, you know, with the Canadian community um, for Honduras, a Latin American country, and also for the Caribbean. I thought that that, that was the greatest um, uh, success, I think, from all of this. Well, that's, that's kind of you to say. And you know, I, I certainly uh, can tell you not only through our, our guests on the, on the podcast, but just you know, knowing so many great surgeons across across this country that, you know, the idea of global surgery, which I, I use with a bit of hesitation, right? Because global always means everywhere where you don't live uh, and can sound a bit um, patriarchal and I, I don't want it to, but, you know, the, the interest of Canadian surgeons in global surgery really at all levels, whether that's resource plenty or whether that's resource challenged, I think run, runs deep uh, uh, culturally. And I, I don't know exactly why that is, but um, you know, I think we should all be proud of that as, as Canadians. And we're certainly proud of, of, of you guys. I mean, to all your, uh, all your accomplishments, you guys are, are great, uh, great human beings individually and collectively a, a, as well. Greg, I, I'd love to end with, with you, if that's okay. And, and, and ask you, uh, you know, specifically what, what your plans are. And, and as a, as the sort of the, the newest young gun coming out of training here very soon, how do you see collaboration with guys like Wes and guys like Don, um, uh, maybe uh, specifically, and 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 other uh, uh, physicians and surgeons in the in the Caribbean community in general? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question, Chad. Uh, in terms of the the collaboration, I well, how what I see is that um, islands, for example, like like for me at home. Um, there's there's no other HPB or surgical oncology, so I, I will be be the first. But as you know, Chad, with with these cases, the complexity can can get quite high. So, for example, if if I have like a like a pretty complex like hyalur case, for example, um, there is the potential to, for example, call on Dawn or Wesley to to help with the assisting with that case. Because you know you have a colleague and in a nearby island who who may be able to to help, and most of the time everyone is it's a small community, and I think that is the importance of of the uh, the strengths of the Caribbean. There, yes, there are many islands, 
the, the, the travel between islands is not difficult. And I think um, that is how collaboration and improving on, on these on these subspecialty um, care um, would, would be the strongest, you know. Um, but overall, I think it is, it is, it, I, I'm happy and I'm, I'm very proud to be involved in, in the development of, of HPB and surgical oncology in the Caribbean. And I definitely saw and really appreciated what, what persons like Wes, Dawn and, and yourself and Calgary Chad did for me. And for sure, it's not going to stop here, but also will help to continue that lineage and help continue to, to encourage younger surgeons, as Dawn said, to, to seek fellowship training because with the fellowship training, this is where for sure the competency and the confidence is, is definitely built. Um, and I, I do see the benefits of it from my personal experience for sure. So I, I strongly will be looking to continue that along. And, and definitely, I think it is, is going to be positive for the Caribbean going forward. You've been listening to Cold Steel, the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. We love to hear your thoughts, comments, and feedback. So send us an email podcast.cjs at gmail.com or tweet at us at camjsearch. Thanks again.